umpire fans and welcome back to another episode of the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate we're excited to get this episode to you it is the second half of the interview with former minor league umpire current wbsc umpire and a guy that really likes chicken wings keith mcconkey topics we cover are coming back from winter ball his experiences at the 2005 futures all-star game and mlb home run derby he gets us his local legends and, of course, everyone's favorite 10 questions. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming. Interesting baseball facts. According to the Baseball Almanac, the Major League Baseball strike zone has had 13 different changes since its inception in 1876 with the most recent change coming in 1996. Now, just for the heck of it, let's review the rulebook definition of terms 2.0, the strike zone. The strike zone is that area over home plate, the upper limit of which is a horizontal line at the midpoint between the top of the shoulders and the top of the uniform pants. And the lower level is a line at the hollow beneath the kneecap. The strike zone shall be determined from the batter's stands as the batter is prepared to swing at a pitched ball. Now, considering all the changes that have occurred to the strike zone over the years, the next time somebody says that should have been a strike, there's a good chance within the 13 different changes, it probably was. So cut them some slack. But anyways, welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. This episode, a little bit special, it's essentially the second half of the interview with former minor leaguer and current WBSC umpire, Keith McConkey. But before we get into it, Let's reflect back on the first half of the interview and see what we talked about. Stopped at around junior age, I would think. Like, I'm used to trying to get out of the way of the ball, and now you want me to on purpose get in front of it. And I was like, yeah, no, we're going to call the cops. Like, (laughs) normally I'd brush something like that off, but this guy's 60 years old, and he might actually stab me. I believe him. (laughs) You got nothing Um, left to lose. I, I get offered to go to extended spring in Sarasota, Florida, which is one of the best experiences of my entire life. We would tear, we had no games on Sundays, so we would tear it down, man. We were in every, every Saturday night, we were watching the sun come up on Sunday morning and, you know, swimming in the Gulf of Mexico. So like talk about what a cool experience, right? Right. Being 23 years old. And they made us in a ball, they make you travel during the day. So that can create some problems, right? Like I remember in the Midwest league going from, somewhere in michigan to wisconsin and you get stuck in midday traffic in chicago and you're starting to get concerned you're not making it to wisconsin dodger town they used to call it was a real cool setup in the backfields you had rooms right on site and they you know they had buffet and the locker rooms there so you really didn't have to leave baseball city chad fairchild was a name you might recognize yeah so chad was chad was on my crew and he was from there Well, there it is. Glad that you're caught up to date. If you haven't listened to it, check it out on Podbean, Spotify, Apple iTunes podcast, Amazon Alexa, catch it on YouTube, anywhere you really get to pod. Like I say, if you're listening to it right now, you probably know where to go. Okay, time for the traditional social media, Facebook drop. Check us out, Leading Edge Umpire Stories on Facebook. That way you'll know updates when the next show is coming. Maybe do some fun stuff. Check us out, Leading Edge Umpire Stories on Facebook. Like, share, get the word out. We'd appreciate it. Okay, we know it's been a little while since we got the first half interview, so you're ready to listen to it, and that's why you're here. So let's not waste any time. 
let's jump right back into Keith McConkie on the leading edge where he is talking about coming back from winter ball and working some minor league baseball. Please enjoy. Okay, Keith, you've worked winter league baseball. Now you've worked almost a full year straight umpiring. What was it like to come back and get in the groove working in minor league baseball again? You know, I came back and that was a hard year and you work 160 plus games when you include spring training and then you go to winter ball and you're, you work another hundred because it was like a 90 game season with, you know, then you get playoffs and, um, so you're you're up over 100 games by the time you're said and done, and and you're coming home at the end of January, and spring training starts mid March. So you really get about six weeks off. I was gassed, oh, like I was really you. tired. And then, and then in my last year in the game, you know, I was working with Jeff Spizak again, uh, and a guy named John Coons. And so Spizak had an injury; he had like just had to get surgery on his foot, and and really is we ended up being shorthanded for a substantial amount of time, and. Being that tired after the fact, I really lost my really lost my desire to do it for much longer. To be honest with you, like sure. it's uh, you know you get that grind and you're like, oh, you know, this is the experience I'm having now. Do do so. I've been 2005, so now I'm 29 years old. I'm like, can I see myself doing this for another 30, 40 years? I, I don't know, man. Even even in the big leagues, it's still oh, yeah. you're still on the road all the time. You fly in airplanes instead of driving overnight in a van and. You know, you stay in hotels where it costs 25 cents to flush the toilet, um, you know, and you eat better food because you, you're, you know, at the time it would have been 300 and some odd dollars a day in per diem. Uh, but yeah, that year I worked, you know, we missed a substantial, worked a lot of two umpire system because then finally Jeff got replaced and then the guy who replaced them got mono. So he was out. So <laughs> old Coonsie and I worked damn near a whole season of double A ball with just the two of us. We got guys like uh, Michael Bourne is a guy that used to play for the Phillies. He was in the big leagues for a while. I don't know if he still is, but you get plays like John runs out, out fly ball to right field. You know, I'm chasing the runner all over the bases. They're fast, by the way, at that level, really fast. Coons misses it. Like, I think he, it's a trap and he calls it a catch or vice versa. I can't remember. And, and Michael Bourne has a nervous him man, I know you only got two of you, but you got to get out further. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? Probably started yelling at him from about 50 feet away. Like, but you're talking out of both sides of your mouth right now. Yeah, you understand we only there's only two of us, but you got to get further out. Like, which one is it? So that was a challenging year. I mean, the, the awesome part about 2005 is I got assigned to work the Futures game, which was just an amazing experience, right? You get to I was in Detroit. You get the major league experience where they put you up in that badass hotel, you know, like really nice hotel right on the water on the, the St. Clair river in Detroit. And then you, you know, they pay you the 300 or some odd dollars a day in big league per diem. We get to the stadium, the club, he has a spread of food out for us. And I mean like chicken and salad and stuff, not, you know, Doritos, three, three day old nachos. Right. Like, so he, I mean, he's, I mean, looking after you and you, you know, the, they had your uniforms to you and they hemmed them, like they had them in the right size. And, uh, so you got full bigly uniforms, I got pants and a jacket. Now the all-star game was in July and I got the heavy duty big league jacket and, and I'm like, I'll never wear this. Right. 
like I'll never, I put this on to make sure it fits. And that is the last time probably I'll wear it. I think it's sitting in my old priest in the garage. <laughs> it's not dusty cause it's inside that crate, but you know, the full thing, they give us a full thing of gear, a new chest protector, a mask and shin guards and, and a bag and paid you money to, you went and did a little clinic during the fan fest and they paid you like $150 or something. I'm like, that's like two days salary for a person in double A back in 2005. So, uh, you know, the futures game was a really awesome experience. And, you know, like it's uh, after the fact, and this was a real surprise, they sent the four umpires that worked there. DJ Rayburn was, was on the field with me in the futures game. They sent us all this, um, like XM futures, all-star game, um, I don't even know what you call it. Almost like a case, right? Fancy okay. case. And it had two baseballs in it. Uh, one was signed by everybody on the world team and one was signed by everybody on the U.S. team. That's cool. So I'm like, that is, yeah, that was a real cool takeaway. And that is well protected too somewhere in my house. I don't want my kids to get their hands on those baseballs, right? I want to be able to, at some point when they're old, you know, they're old and they don't need this room full of toys here, we can, we can bust <laughs> out all of my memorabilia and put stuff up on the wall like, you know, maybe one of my winter ball jerseys that has a, you know, a 24 by 24 Pepsi symbol on the back of it. Um, or no, as a Pepsi or Pilar, like the ads, you had ads all over your jerseys yeah. and hat. And, but yeah, so that was uh, come the end of 2005. And, you know, we had that strike where they just did not want to negotiate. They wanted to give us no more money. It's like, you, I was making like $2,600 a month or something stupid for five months a year and $22 a, a day in per diem. Like who can live off that? So we went on strike and and I was pretty resi- resigned to the fact that I wasn't going back and um, ended up getting released anyway. So it really made the decision that much easier for me. Um, Literally. You know, and, and it's it's interesting when you, when you get released, there's this feeling of, you know, like, oh, it's a terrible feeling, right? It's like a, you know, girlfriend breaking up with you almost you've worked this many years, this long and hard to get somewhere. And I, you know, you had these visions of getting to the big leagues and once you get to the double A level, you can really see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and there weren't very many job openings. Um, and then, you, you know, you, you get, it becomes a numbers game, right? For sure. So you, you, they don't see you in, you know, getting to the big leagues and whatever you move on. Right? You go get a real job. Tonight, yeah. you've probably rambled off 20 names. Let's just give or take. Minor league guys that you worked with, including yourself. Yeah. But I think in the game, there I don't even think there's been 400 major league umpires total. So you've rambled off close to 5% of the potential all-time major league umpires, if you would put those guys. I mean, so there's just, it's a numbers game. That's yeah. exactly what it is. I mean, I, I mean, I work with numbers for a living, but I've never looked at those stats. Yeah, I mean, it's like I have had... I'm trying to think lots of lots of guys that I went through the game with umpire wise, but I know players too. The the question I always get is, Hey, did you know any like did you ever see any really good players? I'm like, Yeah. So I'm a I'm a crew chief in Lakeland in spring training in two thousand and five. And, you know, we find this bar downtown. It was beauty. There's you know, lots of nice looking young ladies there, like a college crowd and um, so we're at this bar, have any food drinks and uh, I'm at the bar waiting to get a, a beer and a guy is beside me goes, Hey Keith, how are you? And I said, do I know you? 
he goes, yeah, my name's Justin. I just, I'm in a Tigers camp. I just got drafted this year. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Justin, what's your last name? He goes, Verlander. Yeah. And he goes, let me buy you a beer. I said, Justin, you know, that's not really, really a good way. He goes, I just got a big signing bonus. Let me, let me buy a beer for you guys. So Verlander ended up going straight from college. I think he was at Old Dominion or something. And he's got a little crotchety as he gets older, but Verlander was a pretty cool cat when we were younger. Like he was he went straight to double A out of college, which is pretty unusual. Um, and he just lit it up, right? He lit it up and then he went to the futures game with me. We're on the same flight actually, flew us first class. We're both pounding as many Heinekens as we get down our throats. We weren't used to that free premium beer, right? Like <laughs> You know, he got a $5 million signing bonus. He's riding a bus in double A. So then, yeah, I mean, we all know how well he's done. A uh, yeah. couple of Cy Youngs, a couple of no-hitters. Uh, you know, uh, he's not the best-looking guy in the world, so I think he married up. I really do. <laughs> but, yeah, so Verlander, does, yeah. Verlander, and I had Miguel Cabrera all, all the way through the minor leagues. Uh, Hanley Ramirez was a guy you might remember played for the Red Sox for years in the Marlins and uh, Jose Reyes and Jose Bautista. Some people may know him. I had him in double A in Altoona, Pennsylvania, beautiful Altoona, you know, a bunch of names. Um, Those are guys that we watch every night in TV. It's yeah. Really and some guys that are not around anymore. I'm trying to think of some of the names, but uh, Francisco Rodriguez uh, with remember when he came up as a rookie and won the world series with, so I had him that very next year in winter ball. I've never seen a slider like that in my entire life. And I don't think I ever will. He threw the thing like 92 miles an hour and it would break 18 inches to two feet. Like, <laughs> like I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. Um, and uh, do you remember the name Thomas, Thomas Perez, Tomasito yes. Perez? Yes. I had him uh, in winter ball and what a clown, like just chirping other team umpires, just having fun, right? Like he was done playing in the big leagues. Uh, Marco Scudero was down there. Ramon Hernandez catcher with the Reds, I believe at the time. Um, Oogie Urbina. I was down there right after like his mom got kidnapped and all that stuff. Wow. which was kind of scary, like some pretty big name guys out of Venezuela. And uh, yeah, so the, I mean, the list goes on and on and I'm not sure I could remember it all. A lot of, a lot of big names. And I was never a guy that was, I'm still not, I've never been a guy that's come on, let, let me get your autograph. Like these guys are regular guys. Like they are. I mean, you don't get autographs. You just get beers. Well, yeah. I mean the, the, <laughs> that situation was pretty funny with Verlander. He's like, Hey Keith, how are you? I was like, who are you? And how do you know my name? Like, yeah. He's a, just got drafted. He would be, and he knew the, the name of the crew chief of the umpiring crew. So okay. somebody had a talk with him and said, hey, part of this being a professional means that you learn people's names. And, but yeah, so right. I remember that I got off the plane on like a Wednesday and, you know, went out for dinner and the whole crew on the Wednesday and Thursday morning, I had the plate plate in a, in a triple A game. Uh, Cliff Lee against, uh, oh geez, who was pitching? Big guy pitching for Detroit at the time, Dominican, threw about 100 miles an hour. I was like, 
hang on tight, son. This is going to be a tough one. You know, if it wasn't for winter ball and me working into January, it would have been a guessing game. Because these guys, I mean, Cliff Lee was throwing a curveball that broke three feet. You know, and, and I mean, thank goodness they gave me big league catchers. It wasn't the, the right. rookie ball guys that they stuck out there with the big league pitchers. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to work in two big league stadiums, uh, Citizens Bank Park in Philly, which is a real cool stadium. Philly's a cool city. If, if people listening have ever ever get the chance to go to Philly, go to Philly. That's I want to get there. Um, got a bad reputation, but Philly's a great town. That pitcher, did he wear his hat straight or was it a little bit crooked? A little bit crooked. Was it Fernando Rodney? Yes, it was. Fernando Rodney. I couldn't believe it. He was throwing a ball 100 miles an hour in spring training. I'm like, this is day one for me. They've been down here for a month. You always reminded me as like a John Daly, a grip and rip, just fire. And just gangly arms everywhere. Like, yeah, Fernando Rodney, wow, you got a better memory than me, and I was there. Oh, I think in Detroit, you know, trying to go back through that. Yeah. They weren't really good around that time. They had a huge ballpark that really didn't, that benefited pitchers, but it left a lot of holes in a lot of areas. Well, I remember it was a pretty new stadium when they had the All-Star game there. And uh, I worked the home run derby. So I worked the, you know, they had four of us and they split you up. Two or you worked the Futures All-Star game and then two of you worked the Slow Pitch Classic or whatever. And then two right. worked the Home Run Derby. So I got the, I was fortunate enough to work the right field line in the Home Run Derby. And I got booed by 45,000 people because Pud Rodriguez hit oh. one and the fan reached just over the wall and grabbed it and I wouldn't give it to him. So they all booed me. Um, I was like, nope, spectator interference. Post-show edit, you think you're going to drop a 2005 Home Run Derby reference about Pudge Rodriguez and we're not going to look it up? Check out the show description. You're going to find a link. That link will let you, the listener, judge for yourself if you think it should have been a home run. All I'm going to say is Pudge Rodriguez is the hometown hero in Detroit. The fan might have reached over but loses a beer in the process on 100% grounds of game management situations. I think that's a home run. But like every other play that has ever happened in Major League Baseball, I don't get the final call. Anyways, back to the show. Yeah, that one. And then uh, uh, Bobby Abreu uh, was, that's the year that he won it. And and I distinctly, like I still can envision it in my head. And I I got a lot of memories that I can't remember. But uh, he hit this ball 50 or 60 feet over top of the foul pole. (laughs) And I was like, I have no idea if that was fair or foul, but you hit that ball to the moon, so I'm going to give it to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. point of a fair home run. I, I've never seen a ball hit that far in my life. And, like, I've seen some hit pretty far. I, I couldn't believe he's in a big league stadium. And uh, those fair foul poles are ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You know, they're the top they're length of the stadium. High. Yeah. Yeah. And he hit it way over top of it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> coin flip. Look good to me, yeah. right? It is the home run derby. I've already been booed once, and I want to get booed again. Um, I'm just here to make double yeah, that was a, Yeah, and, and not worry about twisting an ankle. On the, right. On the now, field. The one, that is one of, um, you know, that is the one thing that I, I really miss. I mean, two things I miss about professional baseball is the, the field. So the yeah. field of play. Yeah. I mean, they're just manicured, immaculate. I mean, it's somebody's full-time job. Right. They cut the grass every single day. So the ability to soak up rain and I mean, just it's perfect all the time. There's no sloping down. You're worried about you're going to sprain an ankle if you got to turn around and go out on a ball. Um, that and and I miss the professionalism. 
Oh, so sure. not not some not even the level of play, but I miss people treating people as professionals, right? It's Philip and Keith and everybody, you know, especially when you've been with somebody for three or four years through the minor leagues, you get to know, hey, they got married in the offseason, they got kids, and they're human beings. Yes, you don't agree all the time, but it's not like you see, you know, we all watch this close call sports for the ejections and things and people acting like lunatics, and those are few and far between. You get more problems at, you know, a Bantam House League game locally than you would at a professional level which blows my mind you know beer league mm-hmm. or i won't i won't even umpire a local men's senior league anymore as amateur umpires i think that's what we grow to expect and we try to bring as much professionalism as we can to the game but it's just in a different class all of itself working professional mm-hmm. baseball there's a reason why it's called professional baseball because these players these umpires they're going to work they're fortunate to work mm-hmm. in the best sport in the world in my opinion and they, at the end of the day, they have the same employer. Major League Baseball employs them. If it wasn't for Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, none, nobody would have a gig. Mm-hmm. So they need to represent the brand. Yes, we don't agree sometimes as fans and some of the ways that the professional, what we would call professionalism, but that's how they're handling the culture within their organization. Mm-hmm. And, Way better than any amateur baseball in the other night. But let's talk amateur baseball here. How many Baseball Canada National Championships have you worked? I should have known you were going to ask me that question. Let me count. And it's not I mean, it's not nearly as many as some of these other clowns you've had on the show. Okay. These guys have been doing it for 50 years, and they've been to every city in the country. right? Still haven't been to Saskatchewan. Still haven't yeah. been to Manitoba. Uh, haven't had the luxury of umpiring in BC, although I've asked several times. I keep getting told no. Thanks, Trev. I'm going to throw you on a bus for that one, by the way. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I've been, 2007 was my first one. So, I mean, 2005 was my last year of professional baseball. Yep. And that'll bring me back to, I forgot to answer your question early on about, did, we, did I in the, get in the program before professional baseball? So I'll, It's only an hour and five back. minutes later, but that's okay. Uh, I'll circle back on it. You asked me to tell some stories and I got off. I get, I get really deep into those stories and I want to be oh, detail oriented. I want to be detail oriented, right? Oh, they were great. So, uh, so 2007, I got assigned to the Bantam uh, single site. So I was a Bantam in um, no in Quebec City. Oh, Quebec City, yes. And so there was a, a alarming trend here. You see how many times they've sent me to Quebec. Uh, so Quebec City in 2007. Uh, 2009, I went to Trois-Rivières, Three Rivers mm-hmm. for the juniors. Junior. Uh, 2011, I went to Moncton, New Brunswick um, Canada Cup. Uh, for the Canada Cup. 2012, I believe, I supervised at uh, the Bantams in o- beautiful Oshawa, Ontario. It's no sarcasm at all. The okay. schwa. They call it the schwa. <laughs> uh, and then 2013, uh, went to... Beautiful Sherbrooke, Quebec for the Canada Games. And then uh, 14, I supervised in Charlottetown, PEI. Uh, shout out to Kent Walker. Charlottetown is one of my, one of the best cities in the country. No question. No uh, question. Uh, so Charlottetown, and then I finished that and I came back and I, I spent a few days in Toronto for tournament 12. That was 14, I said. Uh, and then 16, I think 15 or 16, it's all running together now. I got to supervise uh, at uh, the Canada Cup in Fort McMurray. I didn't realize how close Fort McMurray was to the sun. 
it's really close to the sun. Yeah. I, I mean, no joke. It, it, it's blazing hot here. And we got there and guys were, they're bitching and moaning. They're like, oh my God, it's so hot here. I'm like, it's 26, feels like 26. 26 <laughs> degrees Celsius is not that hot. I don't have a whole lot of protection on the top of my head, as you can tell. Okay. I was out watching a game and I was outside in the sun for 30 minutes. I got torched, man. I was a mess. I was like, oh my God, hat every minute of every day for the rest of the time I'm here. I was like, I was outside for 30 minutes. Um, so anyways, uh, Fort Mac and the guys were like, oh my God, it's so hot. I got home and it was like 40 degrees with feels like 44 or some right. silly number. 35 feels like 44. I'm like, this is Florida weather. You guys are complaining about 26. Uh, and then, you know, so baseball national championships, what was that? Four, four umpire, three supervisor. Is that what that looks like? Yeah, I think yeah, so. so. Seven, seven in total, four umpire, three supervisor. So I still have yet to umpire a senior men's national championship. Oh, interesting. Uh, I was scheduled to supervise at the senior men's last year, but we, we know yeah. what happened there. And yeah. I was in Sydney, Nova Scotia. I was really excited about getting to Cape Breton. Yes. Uh, you know, that's, I've had got some fond childhood memories there. My grandmother on my mother's side and grandfather there from, from Cape Breton. Beautiful place called Shetty Camp. Yeah. yeah, if you're from the Maritimes, you know where Shetty Camp is. Yeah, I swear I have a childhood memory of seeing penguins uh, in Shetty Camp. And as an adult, I'm not sure how accurate that is. I don't think there's penguin, penguins nah, in I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think penguins are only in the Antarctic. Uh, yeah, or like Africa. Um, <laughs> you know, there's lots of penguins in, in Africa, but... Uh, there are none in Nova Scotia. Now that I think of it, I think penguins are native to Sierra Leone. <laughs> yeah, no, you might have seen a pelican. Yeah, yeah, some other seafaring bird. So amongst uh, everything, yeah. though, do you have a favorite championship that you've attended? Each each championship I've gone to had, you know, each one was very unique. Like, you know, Quebec City just rained all the time. Okay. And, you know, we had a game that finished at, 11:59 p.m. and as we were walking off the field the timer on the lights the lights went out so like that happened it was like yeah. hey the lights are gonna go at midnight and i'm like hurry up everybody run run on off right. the field but you know i i think the bantams exceeded my expectations because i didn't have a good understanding of how close the bases were together yes. so it really sped up the game and and we almost had a fight like i worked a semi-final play job between quebec and quebec city so okay. like the club team each from Quebec and Quebec City. And so we had a ball that hit to the shortstop. It took a bad hop and hit the shortstop up in the like high shoulder face somewhere in that. And my French was mediocre. Somebody said something. All of a sudden players are coming off the bench. And I was like, something's up. <laughs> uh, and so I started running out and getting in between them. I just, you know, that yep. professional experience, I saw the problem happening very quickly. And thank goodness I was working with a, a guy by the name of Benoit de Grasse from Quebec. And he started hollering at people in French and he got their attention pretty quickly. Like right. people stopped in their tracks. But I mean, that was a pretty cool game, real tight game, semifinals. And uh, then I worked first base in the gold medal game and it was a stinker. Right. Like it was no good. Usually but, the semifinals you know. can be a little bit better than the gold medal games. Yeah. It's first and game then, of the day typically. And like Trois Rivières and the juniors. Um, it was a, a neat tournament. I mean, they just put a bunch of money into the stadium in Trois-Rivières. So it was, I think they put about $7 million into it. So it was in good shape. But another one where it bloody well rained all the time. Like, right. You know, so now you're fighting the, the tournament 
nothing's on track. The games are all delayed and they're, you know, they're just scrambling to try to get games in and sending you to the third field when you're supposed to be on the main stadium. And there's a big difference between the main field and the third field, (laughs) you know, like number one, it takes 45 minutes to get there. And that was interesting. And then in Moncton was pretty cool. That was when they first started the whole check mark for the international. Okay. Uh, you know, your international stuff. So I worked with uh, John Oko and uh, a few other people there. And I enjoyed that. Now, Moncton's an awesome city, right? So we yes. saw some of the city and the Baseball Canada Cup. Those kids can play ball, right? They just, they're no nonsense. They play ball. And the Canada games, the baseball wasn't nearly as good as it was in the Canada Cup. Really? Because there was that eight. Well, it's a, a year younger, right? So it's it becomes a year younger. Okay. Um, so instead of getting the top under 18 players it's like the top 17 and under the canada cups i think 18 and under and the the canada games was 17 and under but the problem with those club tournaments is the format is tough right because you get ontario quebec bc and then usually it rotates between like alberta and saskatchewan or manitoba they play each other twice each through round robin and then the other five teams play yeah uh, and then they cross over and, and you're pretty much guaranteed that that semi-final is going to be a blowout uh except for uh i when i umpired the canada cup saskatchewan wait made the finals right so i saw saskatchewan make the finals and they they were a good ball club so uh yeah the canada games and and the stinky part was we landed in montreal and i had flown in with uh, with lisa turbot and we landed and our driver was nowhere to be found supposed to pick us up at in montreal and fly and drive us to sherbrooke which should have been about an hour and a half drive an hour and a half later we find him he had gone to eat dinner so now we drive he gets lost in downtown montreal we have to stop and ask for directions so it takes us like just shy of four hours i think to get to to get to Sherbrooke from after landing. And so we get there just in time uh, for the opening ceremonies to be letting out. So we sat for almost an hour and a half in the vehicle on the road at the University of Sherbrooke. By the time we get through, we got no keys for our rooms. Yeah, we missed late. the umpire meeting. We missed the, you know, we missed the opening ceremonies, which is part of the allure of the Canada games, right? Right. So we're outside our room. We're sitting outside of our room, Lisa and I, for a while. And then we finally get keys and we get in. And poor Lisa has an inch to an inch and a half of water on her room floor. Great way to add insult to injury. Yeah. So, of you know, being the chivalrous guy I am, can't leave somebody like that. So we got it all cleaned up, poor Lisa. I got to think it's one o'clock, maybe two o'clock in the morning. And I've been going since early in the morning, Eastern time, uh, you know, get to Toronto to the airport. Right. Um, and you've been and, hyped up for the day. And yeah, so we get there and, you know, we get in the room, finally get to sleep. And and I have like a a 30 plate job the next day. Former and I was pro like, experience, you're good to go. Well, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> no. I wasn't real nervous. And I mean, it was midget level baseball. So, uh, I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, not talking down the level of ball, but I am really happy it was me and not somebody else who had to go through that experience and then have a play job. But after that, it got a lot better. We, we had some troubles with some sailors, uh, people that listen that were there, like Rob Allen will, will <laughs> remember that story with fondness some problems with sailors in a, a 
empty beer can tower and uh, flip flop. And I'll have to bring yeah, her out back so, just to hear that I mean, story. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. And I mean, there were some really great guys there like, Oh, Bucky Buckingham legend. Yeah. So yeah, another legend. So Bucky was there. And, uh, yeah. So it was a really good crew of people and we had a lot of fun and we were at the, uh, French Sherbrooke, University of Sherbrooke, which was all French, and then all of the athletes stayed uh, down at uh, Bishop's University, which was English. You know, we got a French lesson every morning for our breakfast, and uh, but no other than that, they looked after us pretty good. That's cool. I had a wrestling official, and this may not be true. It's another thing that may be false, but she told me, wrestling officials, she says, people from Saskatchewan call Saskatchewan the squatch. Squatch, I don't know. And I was like, I'm not buying that one. I'm not buying what you're selling, but you keep yeah. trying. That might be what they talk about in wrestling or something. Like, I believe in Sasquatch, but that's a whole different discussion. On, on <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never seen one personally, but yeah. they may exist. <laughs> they may exist. Um, never heard of anyone in Saskatchewan calling it the Squatch. Something Manitoba okay. would say, probably. Might have been the booze. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's round second base here. You have a few international events under your belt. 2017 Thunder Bay World Under 18 Championships. Share with us how you got there. Yeah, so that was my first one. And uh, that came through Baseball Canada. So we had we had what were called locals. And Chris Wilhelm was the international umpire, they call it. So he would have okay. been assigned by uh, the World Baseball Softball Confederation. And I was one of the, the locals assigned by the host country. So, okay. yeah, so, I mean... Roberts and I, Aaron Roberts and I, and Trevor Drury and uh, Rob Allen and uh, I don't want to miss anybody. Elmer. Um, Elmer Jerkovitz. Yeah. Trying to just don't, I want to make sure Andrew Higgins was one of the supervisors. supervisors. Uh, yeah. So I got that call. And, and so that was the tournament started, I think like September 7th. So early September anyways. And on June 29th, at the advice of my lovely wife, we were out working out. I'm trying to get in good shape before the tournament. So we're out at this guy who's a personal trainer and they have a, an obstacle course that he's built and, you know, you run through the obstacle course and he's personal trainer and you do all these things. So we're doing it. And one of the things he built was this warp wall. So I said, okay, at the end of this circuit, I'm going to try to go up the warp wall and, and I go and I take my last step before I'm on, uh, to jump up the warp wall and I hear snap. I ruptured my Achilles. Oh, that's a, yeah. Anytime you hear snap, you're thinking Achilles. Like I could hear it. It was disgusting. I heard it through the headphones. I had music blaring. I heard it through the headphones. It was a very disturbing experience. Yes. You know, we have my car, which was standard at the time. Right. Six speed standard. My wife can't drive standard. I probably can't push down on the gas pedal at this stage of the game. So my wife calls her father. He comes, drives my standard car home. She drives his car. Then she tets in her car and drives me to the hospital. Uh, long story short, two days later, I, I decided to have surgery on it. Uh, and I told the orthopedic surgeon, I have this going on. Like nine weeks from now, I'm, I want to be on the field umpiring this tournament because I may never get this opportunity again. No question. You know, I got the surgery done, the cast, we go through a week, they remove the cast, put on a fiberglass one, which was a miserable experience. Um, Especially in the summer. In the summer, you know, the, the heat of the summer. So, you know, two weeks later, so now at three weeks, he takes the, the fiberglass cast off, 
takes the sutures out. And I said, okay, doc, what's next? He goes, we put another cast on. I said, uh-uh. I said, you and I had a conversation before I opted for the surgery and said, this is my plan. I said, I've been doing lots of research. He said, the best orthopedic surgeons in the U.S. now are recommending weight bearing after like a week. Yeah. They want you a week post-op with some bearing some weight. He goes, no, we're going to put a cast on. I said, you're not putting a cast on me. Let's get this clear. If you put a cast on my leg, I'm going to go home and cut it off. So why waste the money in the cast? Right, exactly. Like what I really want, and I pointed, I said, up on the wall over there, I want one of those boots. That old bastard made me wait like an hour just sitting on the table while he did whatever he was doing. <laughs> Finally, he comes out, he goes, you know what? He goes, we're going to go with the boot. He goes, but if you injure yourself again, he goes, don't come to me to fix it. And I said, I promise you. Yeah, don't worry. The relationship is severed. Don't worry. I don't want to come back to you anyways, because you're a, you're a carpenter. All you want to do is the way you've always done it, right? Right. So anyways, I got the boot and he put like five wedges under my heel. Okay. And so I, I, I was like, this is really uncomfortable. He's like, and you cannot be weight bearing. So this time I'm a branch manager at a local credit union and, and the credit union needed some renovations on the branch I was at. And there's a very narrow spot that I had to get through to go to a certain space in the branch. So anyways, he's got that boot. I had already booked, like that was like 11 o'clock in the morning and I'd already booked my physio appointment with a physiotherapist in the place that was like right next door to the branch I was managing. I had already taken a wedge out by the time I got to the physiotherapist. I went to see him. He took another one out. So now we're down to three uh, wedges. And I started, he gave me some rehab things to start doing on range of motion. And so I, you know, I was working my ass off on those range of motion things and, you know, the rubber band and the stretching and all these things. And I went and saw him three times a week. And by the end of that week, by the end of week one, of having the cast on, I had better range of motion than I did before I hurt my ankle. So like what an epiphany. Hey, fatty if you just stretch every once in a while you might have better range of motion so and then i got into the like we took another thing out and and i bought this cool crutch i look like a a, a pirate one leg pirate where it helped me walk on it right i could just walk right. around while this boot was on and and so then i started going more and more time without the boot on like i started just weight bearing without the boot and and putting the boot on when i got tired and and lo and behold, and I was at six and a half weeks, I was starting to do some light jogging and strength exercises like jump and rope and box jumps and things. And the physiotherapist is like, you probably shouldn't do no, that. I said, too late, too late. <laughs> like, yeah. get on board or get off, whichever one, right? Like, and he's like, this is remarkable. So, you know, you got those balls that you can, st so I do all of that stuff that they recommended, but I got there, right? Like I got, I got to Thunder Bay and, you know, felt pretty good for the first little bit, but man, by like the second last day, and it was crazy. I think I worked four double headers. So I could, I had yeah. four days where I worked two games in one day and I had, I worked like 12 or 13 games. So it got to the point where I worked, uh, you know, I worked, I don't know if you can consider it a semifinal or what it is, a super round game, Japan and Korea, barely walk off field after that. I was in pretty rough shape. And umpire supervisor, Gus Rodriguez, assigned me to work right field in the bronze medal game. But yeah, it was a, an, just an amazing experience. You know, meeting guys from all over the world.
that's a whole different you know, experience. Like yeah. Frank Bell from from South Africa and Dutch guy and you know Austra- uh, Australian. We yeah we are Australian. He's a, a big time Australian rules football ABL guy, guy too, by the he? way. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm like hooked up with him on Facebook and stuff. I don't don't use a ton of Facebook anymore. But yeah, so yeah, that was really neat. Meet guys from all over the world. A Japanese umpire, um, you know, umpire from Chinese Taipei, and that was a, a really rewarding experience, right? And and just to see. I mean, I had some experience through winter ball and you know, international baseball before they brought in these clocks was really slow. Right. Uh, Used to be known for that. Yes. And now these clocks, man, when I was in Peru, they talk about speeding the game up. Like I had a, most of my games were under three hours, which is a remarkable for international baseball. So, I mean, I, and I think that was the point, right? They wanted to speed it up and, and no more of the lollygagging, just get to your position, get it done. Right? Get in, throw your warm-up pitches, have a nice day. And these are tournaments too, so you got to get so many games in such a short amount of time. That's yeah, now they've moved like they've moved the you know I think the twenty-three and under is all seven-inning games now. Yeah, yeah a little which, different. Which I love, I love sevens. Fair enough. Yeah. Sevens, nines, a little bit different. Uh, I think there's a big difference oh. in the two. Well, especially when you're not getting paid, Fair right? Enough. When you're doing, I mean, you're doing it for the experience. Oh, hey, seven innings are wonderful. Fair enough. Because you have more experience. 2019, you get to leave Canada this time and head to Lima, Peru. Yeah. What was that like? I was really excited about getting to that multi-sport event. Yeah. Um, you know, that was one of the coolest experiences of being at the Canada Games. Man, we used to walk just across the campus and, and watch volleyball and and swimming and i was amazed at how many officials it takes to run a swimming race when we can umpire a baseball game on that giant field with three of us um eight lanes uh, two officials eight. lane start official everything they, they got it was nuts yep it was like 30 some officials for one swimming race i was like this is expensive yep. like you gotta get all these people in from all over the country so yeah but i was really excited about about that multi-sport event the weather sucked though Man, it was like it was winter, right? So we go in the, in our summer. It was winter in South America, so we had daytime. Our you know daytime highs were about fifteen, oh. and then it would get down a little under ten degrees at nighttime, and and foggy and misty. And you know, I, I had some great experiences. There were you know, I got to hook up with two guys that I knew pretty well in the minor leagues. Oh, neat! Uh, yeah, American guys that went so. I mean, I spent a lot of time with them and, um, you know, that was a real reward. Anytime you can, you can see these people that you've known for years and just haven't seen for a long time was, was awesome. Um, and what a great crew of people. So we hung out a lot with umpires and the scores and South America's I've now been there twice. You know, you can see it's just, I mean, it's a different lifestyle than we have here. Oh yeah, no question. Um, I mean, one of the things that amazed me was we went through some pretty impoverished parts of town to get to the yard. Day one, we're like, why is everybody just throwing their trash in a giant pile at the corner of the street? Like, you got this intersection, very busy intersection, because there's really no street lights or anything. It's just everybody edges in until they can get through. And then everybody throws their garbage in this gigantic pile until it's about 10 feet high. And then then the 
garbage trucks come around and that's where they pick up the garbage. So they don't go along everybody, the front of everybody's house like they would here. Right. You know, they're picking it up at that corner. So, I mean, that was neat to see. And uh, I am always the best drivers in the world are in South America. <laughs> Man, they drive two inches from each other. This guy's driving a bus two inches beside the car and nobody even flinches. And people would, it would be a shipwreck here. Like, oh, yeah. be accidents everywhere. That 401, uh, holy frick. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I mean, so they're just, they're very skilled and it's because they grow up driving in that chaos. Uh, but one thing I learned that the biggest bank in Peru is Scotiabank. Interesting. Well, there's a Scotiabank every 300 feet down there, man. Yeah, so I, I mean, it was a, a great experience. I got to umpire the plate and the bronze medal game, uh, which was, I don't even remember. That's terrible. Well, that doesn't really matter. Bronze it's all about the experience like, off the field. No, the bronze medal game might have been like Colombia and Nicaragua, like two teams that you didn't quite expect, you know, and, and I had some big games throw. Like I had a play job to see who went to the Super Round, Dominican Republic and, and Puerto Rico. That was a big game. I don't think I saw Peru or Argentina. I sure as hell saw Cuba and like, some real, and you get that. Like they want a three X minor league guys uh, at to win. that tournament. So they saw, I mean, we saw a lot of the big games behind the plate and, and I understand that it's uh, some great experience. The guys from down there, the Argentinian guy was just a classy guy will from time to time send me a WhatsApp chat showing a picture of all the meat he's barbecuing. <laughs> it's like, dude, can you not do that? It's December here. <laughs> like, I understand it's warm where you're at in December, but it's freezing here. Like, um, but yeah, just a, a great group of people and a really, really rewarding experience. And, and I was lucky. I had most people hate layovers, but I got a layover about a, about an eight hour layover in Fort Lauderdale. And so I took an Uber from the airport to the beach. Like I took a, a Uber to the beach, to the pier. And I walked on the beach and I walked out on the pier and watched these guys fishing off the pier and went had a lunch and a couple of pops at the, you know, the place on the pier. But I forgot how hot it is in the middle of the summer in Florida. It's, it's pretty warm. So walking down uh, yeah. memory lane of 23 year old Keith. Well, like why, yeah, well, I only had a couple of pops. I didn't have a couple dozen, right? Like, so, yeah, but it was just a, it's another life experience, right? And, and it, you know, for other people that get this opportunity to travel, you got to make it an experience because I, I can speak from my own experience in the minor leagues. We did, I did not get nearly enough off-field experiences, right? Like, so there were some, you know, in Philly, you see the Liberty Bell and, you know, Sears Tower in Chicago and the World Trade Center. Like, I was fortunate enough to see, take the subway from the World Trade Center in 2000. Before. And then see it after it came crumbling down. Right. Uh, you know, 2004, 2005. But then also have a trip back where I, you know, I've seen the memorial and, and all those other things. So, I mean, those are cool experiences and... Um, but there are a lot of places where you just didn't do anything. Like thinking back to my one, you know, my week in the South Atlantic league, I probably should have went out and 
you know, I've been to Charlotte a bunch of times. Why the heck didn't I go see the NASCAR Hall of Fame? Or how many times did I drive through Springfield, Massachusetts, and I didn't stop at the NBA Hall of Fame? Or, I mean, I worked three years in I worked three years in the Eastern League in, in Akron. At no point did I ever go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Like hindsight, I've been to Cooperstown a, a few times, but hindsight being twenty twenty, those are just experiences you. God, I, I wish I would have taken. Well, I wish I would have taken it because, you know, then I would have, you know, wouldn't have enough, you know, space in my brain to remember all the on-field crap that you can remember. <laughs> you just remember all the fun off-the-field stuff that you did, right? Like, only baseball junkies care if I've met somebody that, right. you know, went to the big leagues, right? My wife doesn't care. She'd be like, well, what did you see here? <laughs> exactly. You know? Maybe that could be the difference between the guys that get there and the guys that peter out it's just too much focus on baseball and maybe those guys are just just enough focus on baseball yeah yeah i don't know i don't know what the secret recipe is i mean clearly everyone you different. have to be good but even the major league baseball supervisors will tell you there's virtually no difference between somebody in double a and somebody in the big leagues when it comes to ball strike safety those are the fundamentals and you probably don't even get to that level until you can do that. And then well, it's the rest of it. I mean, there was a major jump um, from a ball to double a just, I mean, guys getting to balls in the outfield that yeah. they never would have got to an a ball and the, how hard the pitchers were throwing. And um, you know, you see so many guys that make it to the big leagues and double a uh, that you maybe don't see an a ball and, and that's part of the reason that Major League Baseball, I think, you know, reduced the number of levels because you saw a lot of players that were just space fillers. You right. know, they're just there because you got to put a team together to play with your real prospects. Right. And and that's where some I think some of the uh, Latin American players got taken advantage of. So you get tons of Dominicans or Venezuelans and and or people from Colombia, Panama, wherever they're from, and they they're paying them like seven hundred dollars a month. And those guys were happy, right? They were playing baseball and they were getting paid. They would have just been playing baseball at home and not be getting paid. So, I mean, now you see the the changes to less levels and there's more prospects playing with other prospects. So, uh, I mean, some good, some bad, but, right. you know, I, it's... We had Stu Shearwater here on the show and I asked him the question, where did he find the biggest jump? talent-wise, umpire-wise, and did say that A to AA level is probably the biggest jump. Not saying there's yep. not different aspects to the game at different levels. It's just saying from point A to point B, the biggest jump is A to AA. Yeah, and I mean, AAA to the big leagues is a major jump too, and it's not necessarily the... It's more the, the heat at the higher level. Well, yeah, it's there's, a, you know, there's Cam 40 TV cameras instead of three, <laughs> and, you know... You're yeah. guaranteed to be on the news at night. And, you know, there's a website following ejections in the big leagues and, and commentary and, you know, people jumping on there as anonymous and, and making silly comments. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that is a big jump, but it's, that's mostly the, we'll call it the peripheral stresses, right? The, right. you know, the, the money factor and the, um, you know, if you make a mistake in, double a in 2004 and there's one news camera there for 30 minutes they probably don't catch it but in the big leagues everybody sees it right it's played on the news and yeah so 
Stu and I were both at Trevor's wedding and, and I asked him like, is it just a grind or what? And he said, he still gets that thrill when you're, you finish a plate job and you know, you, you think you had a great game and, and at the professional level, if you had a, you did a decent job. Most of the time the, the catcher who's catching at the end of the game will say, Hey, great job, Keith. We'll see you next time. Or great job, Stu. And, you know, it still is a, a pretty good feeling when you finish that game and nobody said boo, right? You right. walk off the field. So it's, that's still a bit of a thrill. Uh, but I'm, it's funny because I'm, I still, when I'm working a play job, man, like, especially at a, if one of the national level and the international level, I'm not a real good guy to try to have a conversation with when I'm getting ready to work a plate job. Okay. It's just a, you, the focus level is different. Right. You you get amped up, no different than the starting pitcher, I guess. And it's like, hey, I'm trying to, you know, I'm going through the visuals and I'm trying to do all these other things. So please don't talk to me right now. <laughs> like, you know, you see most of the time these big league locker rooms, they got a game, you got the three base umpires are playing cards or doing whatever they're doing. The plate umpires sitting in the corner by themselves. <laughs> right. If it's a triple A guy, he's probably stuffing food in the briefcase for later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they looked after him pretty well. No, they do. they do now. Yeah. Um, I'll throw it out there and then we'll move on. I remember talking to Stu and when he was in that transition, when he was the call up. He's like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to go to the majors. I, I get the major league money and everything. And kind of the culture of major league baseball is that the rookie is responsible to stay with the crew chief and kind of look after the crew chief. I don't know what to call it, but the pet. So if the crew chief wants to do something, yeah. you got to look after it. And so yeah. it's it's kind of looking after their own. And Stu was like, it was great. It's going to be awesome. And then I realized the crew chief basically said, okay, we're going to stay at this hotel. And Stu was like, oh, I'm making a great per diem. Oh, I'm actually spending all my per diem at the hotel. Yeah. And and, and the crew chief is all like, ah, I don't care. I got points. Oh, <laughs> yeah, a million so, points. Yeah. Yeah. So it don't bother me. And he says one thing is that there's nowhere that they have to stay specifically. There's no hotel brand. There's no nothing. They book where they want to book and. You know, if you're on this crew for the longest time, you might stay at a Hilton and these guys might stay at a Sheraton. And and I guess Hyatt is one of the more popular ones amongst the because it has the best point system. But he did say that he had some good crewmates that really looked after him for points because they respect you look after me. I look after you kind of thing. Yeah. But that was one of the big shocks. Sticker shocks was like, I'm going to well, make money and I'm not. And they know, like, they know that you don't have any money. Oh, yeah. They know what a AAA umpire is making. Like, yeah, and they know because they did it, right? They were in that spot at one point, too. And uh, you said the name Angel Hernandez, and, and that poor guy gets a, a Oh, bad I feel rap. awful for him. Uh, he is a fantastic human being. So to tell you a little unknown story that most people don't know, but back when we were forming the Association of Minor League Umpires, and Life for a minor league umpire was terrible. Like, it was terrible. It was, you, yep. Like you said, uh, crap you, hotels. You oh, can, yeah. just garbage. Like, at least, you, you know, unsafe. We're not talking about bad hotels. We're talking about unsafe hotels. Right. I stayed in a. Have you ever watched the show Cops? Remember that show Cops? Oh, yeah. Well, Cops, when they filmed that on Tampa, bad boy, bad boy, they, they would have regular arrests outside the hotel we stayed at in Tampa in the Florida State League. The year before I went to Florida State League, I think it was the Astros were visiting team. Some guys robbed the uh, visiting coaching staff at gunpoint. They were sitting out. It was like the room rooms face outside. Right. And they were sitting out in their chairs having a couple of drinks outside because it's hot. And they got robbed at gunpoint. They tied them up. 
And so, like, that's the type of places you have no protection. The league doesn't care. They're getting it free because the the Holiday Inn Express or Holiday Inn there advertises on their board, so they're giving them free rooms, and they don't care about your safety. And when you so, talk about negotiations, I remember one of the negotiations was that you had inside rooms. And once you got to long season, you know, 140-plus games, uh, grown men didn't have to share a hotel room anymore. Yeah. Like, like, duh, what a grind, right? right? You're sharing a hotel room with another grown man. What if, what if they're married and they want to bring their family in? Yeah. Now they got to pay for another room or negotiate another room through the hotel or the team. Like yeah. it was just, it was nuts. But anyways, uh, we had no money. Right. Like, we had no money to hire a law firm or, you know, lawyers to help us with our first set of negotiations or registering with the national labor relations board. And, and some of our, the top two guys in our organization at that time were Tim Timmons and Dan Isonia or Isonia, or yep. pronounce it. And so when the major league umpires met in their regular annual meeting, Angel Hernandez made a motion on the floor to donate $10,000 to our startup costs with the major league union. Oh, wow. And it passed unanimously. So he was thinking about other people. When he was a big leaguer, he could have just kept doing what he was doing. But he was thinking about these young minor league guys and the struggle that we were going through in the cause. So you you will never hear me say a bad thing about Angel Hernandez because I think his qualities as a human being go so far beyond what people think of him as an umpire. So it actually makes me angry when I read comments about him online and, you know, all that other stuff. It just, you know, yeah. the internet and social media, people act deplorable on there. Like it's not, it's not right. I don't have a similar Angel Hernandez story, but I got to say, like, I have heard other stories within the circle about the fantastic qualities of as a human being that he is. And that is the stuff that he is known for and looking after other yeah. umpires. There's no question. Mm-hmm. And, like you say, I, I get frustrated with social media when people just tear somebody up and they don't even know who they are and they just go no. right to right to knives. And it's all you know, over. if you have a scale of zero to one to hundred, people go right to 100, a hundred, right? Like they, they, yeah, exactly. They skip it. So, I mean, it, it unfortunately can bring out the worst in people. Yeah. So, and you're under the yeah. spotlight every night. I mean, if I, if I, if I went to work every day and had somebody critique every day, my whole day. Wow. Every single pitch. Every, every single, single pitch. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, oh, it's not like he went, oh, that's a strike, but I'm going to call it a ball. I, I Let's play this game. Mm-hmm. Or, ah, I got to agree with you. I've heard some great things about the gentleman and yep. never had the chance to meet him, but I. What was he at a 90, almost a 90% score the other night? Yeah. Uh, with in that, in that no hitter. Yeah. And everyone's pretty... making a big deal. Oh my God. Like it's, it's, this is what these guys do every night. A couple bad situations and it's like your whole career. It's like, yeah. It's not like yeah. he did. It's not like people do stuff intentionally, but intentionally let's move on here. You do have an award under your belt. We'll talk briefly about it. 2013, you're the Don Gilbert level four or five baseball Ontario umpire of the year. Like you're, you're, you're rock star status now in Ontario. Is that what that means? A rock star yeah. status? Oh, okay. I just, like just thought that. Style. I thought that just meant that if you Googled my name, you would see that on the on the Baseball Ontario website. I thought that's all that meant. No, no, no that no. was a pretty big honor. Baseball Ontario, you know, there's been a lot of really fantastic people and umpires, you know, from Ontario. So be, you know, to be thought of in that regard was, you know, was an honor. And that was probably uh, the first and last uh, 
no, it would be the the first out of two baseball Ontario conventions that I've been to. I'll I'll give you opportunities in the future to to make up on the attendance record. Yeah, well, I haven't been invited before. Oh, fair enough then. No. Well, the one thing though about any award here in Baseball Canada or with any any association is that when you're voted by your peers, it's always an honor because I think we work hard for the teams out there. But when you're respected mm-hmm. by your peers, just like Angel, it's a it's a big deal. Yeah, and I would like to think that when you get considered for a award like that, it has nothing to do with your umpiring, right? It has to do with you know what are you giving back, and and that's one of the things when I talked with Ed Quinlan, and it was a bit of a dumbass when you know back back in the day i was a little hot under the collar and um you know and talking to ed about getting back into the program after my time in the minor leagues that's what it was really about it was about becoming a clinician about helping people become better umpires because i don't think i walked on the field in 2006 it was just disinterested right like you're not you know give me a year off and then you know it's like hey i think i have some stuff I could give back, right? And and that what is really what it becomes about. And I think that's probably what what I was recognized more for than than the umpiring. Um, you know, it's so yeah. So it was a it was a fun award. And and circling back, and this you, you may have to edit like crazy to get this one in there. But you asked me about was I in the program before I went to professional umpire school? Yes and no. I went uh, to umpire school the first time and came back and I was invited to the level four or five clinic in Ontario. And um, I did not make a great impression. I was pretty cocky, you know, I would have been, so what is that, 298? So 98, I would have been 22. Yep. I will call it 22. Um, and I just come back from umpire school and thought because I went to umpire school, I was a badass. Right. Uh, but like, Humbly. you know, but lots of people have been on umpire school. One of my mentors, Dale LeGrow from Niagara, had been to umpire school. And, <laughs> you know, Ed Quinlan had been to umpire school. And, you know, lots of people have been to umpire school. And that's what it is. It's freaking school. It's like going to university or college and coming out thinking you know everything, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that, I mean, I did not make a great impression. And then, obviously, I, I was not involved in the program from 99 through 2006, really. Water under the bridge, I'd like to say. You're in the program now, and we definitely appreciate everything that the, like you said, course conductors, supervisors do. So stick around. We The stories have been fantastic, so your knowledge will oh. definitely be valuable. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. We're at, like, two hours and 45 minutes now. I probably got about another three hours of stories in me at least. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> that's the benefit of maybe continuing yeah. to supervise and getting people to ask those stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always season we three. We tried to try to keep most of the stories PG. Uh, <laughs> adult stories are probably left better for, you know, off the record adult bevies in a bar or hotel room with the door closed. That's fair. Well, since it's been a while, let's move on to a section of the show that everyone seems to enjoy. It's called 10 Questions. I'm going to throw 10 questions at you quick. I want to get your vibe on what the answer is, and I'm going to agree or disagree. Do I? Am I? So let's let's make sure there's clarity on this. Am I giving you like short answers, like real quick? The idea of this is that we throw in a question at you and we talk about something outside of baseball. Okay, sure. So if I like the answer, and if I disagree, 
Okay. This is the most pressure I've been under in a while. Good, because it's something I'm gonna start easy. It's something you experience every day. You're in, in the investment world. Someone's out there getting into it. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or GICs, or are you just gonna hide it under your mattress? For the average investor, mutual funds, because they don't understand, yeah, they don't understand stocks and bonds directly, and GICs are just a nice, safe way to lose money. You actually lose money with GICs, especially with the fantastic sarcasm interest rates that are out there these well, days. When you include, do the math, when you include inflation and income taxes, it's just a nice, safe way to lose money. Yep, 100%. So don't check out the GICs, tick to the mutual funds, let somebody else manage your money, and hopefully you pick the right fund. And ETFs. Yeah, mutual that's the funds new thing. And ETFs. You work for investors group, we're gonna name drop it for you. I'm gonna meet with my investor group representative on Saturday. I wanna know, do you, are you going with the IG Putnam stock or are you going with the growth fund stock? You're talking about the US IG Putnam US oh, growth yeah. fund? That's my favorite, so, that's my favorite right now. That's Yeah, except it's been a dog for a week. Week and a half. So yep. yeah, so it is a, I, I hold some of that one in my portfolio. I'm a big believer in something called core and explore. So core means you have a core portfolio of, let's say just a balanced or growth, whatever managed solution, mutual fund. And then you use something else in 10 to 15 to 20% of your portfolio, let's call it. So that could be us Putnam, uh, could be like a healthcare or science and tech. Um, right. You know, I, I'm not a big believer in, in precious metals. And not uh, these very, days, too, vo too, vol volatile. too volatile for most people. Yeah. Two for two, baby. I think we share similar philosophies. Yeah. I'll tell you the putting them. I got into that. I think it was three months old and I'm like, I'm going to like this back in 2015 and wow. it's, it's performed and well. The, the three year rate of return is almost 30%. Yeah. So we're talking about the market. We're kind of in a bull market. Do you think we're heading for the bear market anytime soon? No. Uh, we're actually, we're going to see a bull market get stronger through 2021, but we're seeing a bit of volatility that people are not, ha they're not comfortable with it. The reality is it's normal volatility, but we've been on this incredible bull run since 2009. Uh, aside from really, you look 2012 period, December, 2018, March, 2020, everything, every other time period has gone up. Right. It's remarkable. And but we're not going to see, I mean, the look at the just a plain and simple economics. People going back to work, when you go back to work, you have more money, then you spend more of that money, uh, which in turn creates more business for other companies, and then they bring on more people. And the challenges, uh, the inflation projections are, are coming in hot, uh, and that's what really affected the U.S. market over the last week and a half. Uh, and if people truly understand inflation, it's uh, our inflation numbers are higher than normal because of the cost of gas. Well, what's going on with gas? Carbon pricing in Canada. Yep. I don't know if people are paying attention, but there's some supply issues going on in the U.S. If you watch the news, you see people filling up. You see people filling up plastic bags full <laughs> of gas and putting them in their trunk. But those like, people also ran to Costco for the toilet paper. Yeah, whatever. Maybe they can use it to clean up after their place blows up. I don't yeah, know. Not real smart. We are in a carbon based environment and yes, there's tax in Canada and there's a lot of carbon discussion around the world. But I think the, I think the thing is too, these companies are investing more money than they ever have. And we're creating more money than we ever had. Yeah. And if we could stop the Russian hackers and their ransomware, we might be better. Off too. 
Yeah. Now, there's only going to be 4,500 downloads total in this show ever, so I don't think you're going to get the Russians. Or if my <laughs> if my listens suddenly go up, I know the Russian hackers are there. There you go. Being from the southern Ontario, Welland area, do you prefer to watch the falls in Niagara from the Canadian or the American side? Canadian. You're doing well. Have you ever been? Have you ever been in Niagara Falls, New York? No, I have not. But I've been to the Canadian yeah. side. Yeah, it's not beautiful. It's Even of, when you're looking at Canada. Well, there's lots of lights shining. You can look from the American side. And you can see lots of lights, but you can't really see the Horseshoe Falls very well. Okay. So, and you cannot see the American Falls. Fair. So you're really yeah. shit out of luck. Now it's a lot less expensive. The Canadian side is a tourist trap. Um, <laughs> yes. But, yes. But that's a discussion for another day. Being so close yeah. to the border and close to New York and Buffalo, are you a Bills fan? I am. Yeah. I'm gonna get it. Yeah. But I, I don't blame you. One good year and all of a sudden you're on the bandwagon. Uh, I did see them lose in the Super Bowl four times. I'm old enough to remember that. Uh, yeah. So, but, it, you know, it's it's funny because my sports go – baseball hockey football and basketball trails somewhere further behind those two so uh and now i'm becoming a bigger football fan because my wife is starting to enjoy the game which is amazing now i get to watch it more um <laughs> but like who else am i gonna root for i guess you know i'm not like i mean i'm a blue jays fan and a red wings fan everybody i know in southern ontario is a toronto maple Leafs fan or a habs fan so yeah that's easy you know. That's easy. It's hard to it's hard to cheer for the losers, that's for sure. Well, you know, I'm I'm realistic about it. I my team made the playoffs for twenty five straight years and I watched them win four Stanley Cups. Oh, okay. So um and now I mean the aftermath of making the playoffs for twenty five straight years is being horrible. And but my issue is they can't even be good at sucking. <laughs> like they were They're supposed bad. to be hands down the worst team in the league this year. And they're still going. They still finish like sixth last or something, fifth or sixth last. Yeah. I'm like you guys suck at sucking. Like, <laughs> just be bad. Ottawa's. I think Ottawa finished last. They're going to win the the thing and get the first pick. Like last year when you should have got it, the Rangers stole Lafreniere from you because the league made a stupid choice to do, you know, the the, the lottery that way. Right. It was nonsense. Lafreniere would look really good in red. I feel a little sense of hostility right now. So we'll move on to the next question. We like to learn about Keith here. What's your favorite band? Whoa, favorite band. Oy, oy, oy. Um, I have really an eclectic taste in music. So I like equally country, you know, rock, uh, like old school hip hop. So if you were to look at my phone, I've got playlists and I might have like, nwa and all kinds of stuff on there too but my favorite band there's a bunch of them like i would say kings of leon uh getting a little more old school u2 depeche mode surprisingly great band i'll give yeah. you that you got a few no nickelback no nickelback no, i heard nickelback phone. earlier i think you said it no, you said no. You, I think you said it. I think you said you, you said like you're the Nickelback. <laughs> I heard you're a Nickelback. Fan. You're Nickelback category is what you told me. 
We can play it back. You're going to listen to that when you're editing. Oh, yeah, I will. But I think you said it. Just we'll put okay. it Keith McConkey. Friendly I'm wager. I'm a Nickelback fan. Friendly wager. Well, I'll just edit that you just said Nickelback <laughs> into it. <laughs> yeah. The power of to... deception. You know, this is what they talk about no. the Russian hackers. Ooh. This is what they're doing. The Pixies, great band. 5440, good Canadian band. <laughs> I just looked at my phone. 5440s are at the top. Weezer. Love Shack. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, since we're going to bring up Weezer, people don't appreciate how big the band of Weezer is. It's like a seven or eight piece ensemble. It's legendary. It is good. Good 90s stuff. This leads into the next question. I was thinking you're Southern Ontario. I thought you'd be a tragically hip fan. Oh, I love the hip. I grew up on the hip. Well, that's where I, I mean, thought you were going with automatically. Yeah, no. I mean, they're a great band, but... Um, and I listened to all their music, and I think I had all their CDs, but don't ask me if I could find a CD from the Tragically Hip anymore. It's okay, you know, but pretty what, eclectic taste. What's your favorite song Slow, from the Tragically Hip? Uh, Wheat Kings, probably. <laughs> right out of the prairies. I love we it. Got, know your audience. Yeah, know your audience. <laughs> I got to say, my favorite, I'll throw it out there too, because I like to talk music, Scared. And yes. Yeah. So real on that last show by Downey. It's just amazing how these guys write these music, this music, and it kind of just yeah. fits life. Trickle down, lining up, waiting on a trickle down. So I remember, I have fond memories of listening to that song at local carnival, and you're on that one where you stick you inside and you're against the walls and it goes around in a circle. Gravitron. Gravitron. Oh. And I remember listening to that trickle down and going, it's about to do more than trickle down when I puke in this gravity truck. Oh, yeah. So oh. it's amazing this shit you remember. I bring it up. It's amazing how important music is to moments in our life. That's yeah, why I, can I see the ask music. I can see the guitar behind you and the actual singing microphone, so I can tell you're a fan. I have a, I have a very inexpensive acoustic guitar that I bought last year because we own a trailer and we're seasonals at a campground, so I'm like, I might as well learn how to you know, play a little acoustic guitar by the campfire. I'm terrible. Everybody keeps telling me you're going to struggle, struggle, struggle. Then one day you're going to figure it out. I'm like, when's that day coming? Being a Nickelback fan, you'll struggle for your whole career. I guess, yeah. <laughs> no, guitar, music, I think it's one of the best things. We play sports. You talk about your injury. Mm -hmm. One day an injury might hit you and you can't play sports the rest of your life. Yeah. I advocate, I think you can take music the rest of your life so that's still play I, hockey yeah i'm still playing hockey and my old man played into his 70s so fingers crossed i can stay healthy enough to do that okay you're gonna wake up saturday morning and you're gonna head down to the welland farmer's market is there a booth or that you prefer to hit up yeah there's this guy that sells kielbasa and mm. pepperonis and stuff and it's it's a little more expensive than you'd get at a grocery store but it is the cat's meow man that's yeah. why we go to the farmer's market go see the meat go see the meat guy the meat guy there's something like 80 booths at the well and farmer street market have like, you been to the well and farmer's market no i haven't but you've just looked it up i've looked it up and tried to prep you to make you feel good about welling i don't go there all that often in the summertime because we're at our, our trailer but my right. father goes every saturday morning but every community has a farmer's market and every yep. person has their favorite booth that we're gonna it's like Every city in Niagara has one. Well, in yeah. St. Catharines, Fawn Hill has a, a market. So Fawn Hill's a Pelham. It's a smaller community of about 20,000 people just outside of Welland, and they have a great one on Thursday nights. 
like they shut down the square and then they have the market and then they have bands playing and yeah, it's awesome. I challenge everyone listening, go head out to your local farmer's market, support local. You never know what you're going to run into and find or who you're going to support. Check it out. Here, here. Explore your community. We talked about not exploring communities we visited. Start by exploring your community and you'll learn how to explore others. Well, in Ontario, have you ever took part in the zombie walk? No. I'm not a zombie guy. Um, Pandemic. How could you not be? Yeah, it's just not my bag, baby. Fair enough. We'll move on then. Talking food and Wellen, where is the best restaurant you're going to take someone to? Whoa. Just a favorite. Welland, so Welland is not known for having great restaurants. Okay. So I'm a big chicken wing guy. Um, there are a couple of restaurants locally where you get, they have amazing wings. So Handlebar Hanks, Tailgates. Uh, there's a place called The Trap. Uh, not much for ambiance, we'll say, uh, but the wings are amazing. And, and you just, I mean, you can't get wings across the country like you can get them here and then maybe in western new york like just incredible so handlebar, you hanks. Vacation, handlebar hanks tailgates props to those uh, chicken wings that i will probably be eating tomorrow as soon as they lift the restrictions he's running right to handlebar hanks no they're doing takeout man they Good, do takeout gotta make sure it works and you're right. A second we're like June 3rd, when we're allowed to be on a patio, I will probably be having lunch at, at uh, tailgates. Fair enough. Just for those listening, well in Ontario, home of former president of Blue Jays baseball, Paul Beeston. That's his former home? Yeah, well, that... Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I didn't grow up in Welland. Uh, my wife and her entire family are from here, and I grew up in a, a smaller town called Thorold. But yeah, Welland's been okay to me. I'm not going to complain. Fair enough. I stay away from downtown. Um, <laughs> uh, you got you got caught in the wife trap. That happens to the best of well, us. Well, I mean, we had a Especially reality. when you marry up. That's what happens. Always marry up. I mean, it'd be pretty hard for me to marry down. <laughs> you got a you know, face like mine. It'd be hard to marry down. Question 10. We've talked a lot about it, but what is your favorite beer? Yeah, it's not even close. Yingling Lager, son. Um... I just learned but, about this tonight, but you go ahead. I love all kinds of beers from all over the world. So, I mean, your Asian beers, your Singha and your Sing Tao and your Sapporos and your Tigers and uh, mix in the occasional Kingfisher, which is a an Indian beer. And then, you know, you have some good ones from places like the Czech Republic and Poland. And, you know, I remember drinking a few beers in Venezuela and they come in this tiny bottle. So it's like a 250 mil bottle, but it's like a double as paint thinner. Like it's uh, got about 8% alcohol in it. So, you, you know, and it was funny cause you go up and order, you pay about 50 bucks or 50 cents a piece. Okay. Um, so you'd buy a round of those and it's foggy how you got back to a hotel at the end of the night. So it wasn't bad. It was delicious and not a real fussy guy. I don't much care for Bud or Bud Light. No. Coors Light or those because they're just mass produced. But yeah, Yingling, La Yingling Lager is my favorite. Probably followed by uh, uh, Rolling Rock and, and some other beautiful ones. Yingling Lager. Check and, them out. And Miller Lite. Support your corn farmers. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. 
Well, moving on, another section of the show, almost done, called Local Legends. Share with us someone giving back to the baseball or umpire in culture in your own community. So, I mean, it would be an epic fail for me not to name these two gentlemen. Uh, they, if not for them, I definitely wouldn't be where I am now. Uh, so they are both in the program. They've both supervised, umpired at many, many national championships. They've both umpired internationally. Uh, and their names are Ben Mercy and Dale Legro. For those of you that have been in the program for a while, you, you know the names of these two guys. And you know that they are they're just amazing human beings and they're both people who took me under their wing at a very young age. And I, I remember, you know, Dale was a guy who would come watch me umpire at the local peewee diamond. Like we're not even from the same town. He's from Merritt and I'm from Thorold. And, and then, you know, they, I'm in extended spring training and Dale and his wife, Nancy made a special trip out to, to see me in Sarasota. And they did the same for Trevor Grieve and yep. just, truly amazing people i remember i worked my first men's league game at the age of 16 with ben mercier it went very smoothly because it was with ben mercier there right it just control the game and and look after people so i mean you know if they're listening thank you gentlemen um you know you really have helped shape where i'm at today because of that right and you know it's a great opportunity to be able to name people by by name and there's there's a lot of people who have had influence over my career in umpiring but locally those are the two guys i mean hands down nothing against ben mercy i've never met him i've heard lots of good things about him but i have had the opportunity to meet dale legrow and i have to say everything that you and trevor said about him dale's mm -hmm. class act and it's yeah these are people that just get into it because they love it and make sure that the next group loves it so thanks guys for doing everything you do yeah, and I mean, there are lots of other people yeah, that I've met throughout the country that are advocates for the program and for other people. You know, without them around, the program fails. Right? You have people no that are, you know, I'm a member of the a Rotary local Rotary Club, and, and one of the mottos there is service above self, and, and we have a lot of people that are doing that in the umpiring community, right? right? They're not, not getting paid. They just donate hundreds of hours of their personal time to for others really right and the one thing that is the most expensive in this world that does not have a price is time you can't get it back so nope. when you put your time in you hope that you maximize the opportunity amen well well keith that essentially wraps up this episode of the leading edge i want to thank you for giving us the time before we go we always like to give the guests the opportunity to part with the last words call them words of wisdom so Keith, what is your inspirational message to aspiring umpires? Ooh, um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Mistakes are how we learn, you know, and, and so, talked about some of the life lessons earlier. It's you learn those best lessons when you make mistakes. So I can think back to my amateur career, my professional time that I've made some real snafus on professional baseball fields that are not embarrassing because I learned from them, but you know, that resulted in four ejections, uh, right? Like, <laughs> so of people that you would know, uh, we're not going to get into that, but names that you would know. Uh, and so, yeah, just don't be afraid to make mistakes and reps. So reps are the most important thing you can have. We all hear about the plate dodgers. If you work with somebody who doesn't want to work the plate, then strap it on. 
because guess what? The more pitches you see, the better you're going to get. And don't quit because you get, you know, you catch some flack from some people and think it's a better option to go work at McDonald's or whatever else that you can do because you're just not going to learn as much in the way of life lessons by doing that. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode, where we bring on an umpire that has worked at all levels of Baseball Canada National Championships, is currently the president of the New Brunswick Baseball Umpires Association, is an umpire equipment guru, is also the president and CEO, head umpire equipment guru, and chief bottle washer of AtlanticOfficials.ca, and a guy that's a lot of fun at parties, Mike Doucette. Now, before we go, we would like to leave you with this. There's a common rule myth that people believe that the batter cannot be called out for interference if they are in the batter's box. My response to that is, can the catcher be called for interference if they are in the catcher's box? Take care, everybody, and stay safe.